you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 1, and, uh, and we want to pick up right where we left off last Sunday um, in verse 11, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. So, um, Paul, again, is writing, and he's writing in defense of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is getting attacked, right? There are people there that are preaching their own gospel for personal gain, right? For personal gain. And Paul is making the statement, he's making the claim, he's taking the stand that I'm not here preaching for myself, right? If I were here preaching for myself, you would know it, but I'm here because God has sent me, because God wants me here, right? And he has a plan for the gospel. And so I want to pick up right where we left off in verse 11. You guys ready? Awesome. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Okay, so he's picking up right where he left off in verse 10. For I now, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know that this gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So Paul's sharing his testimony here, right? Talking about how, you know, this is my past life and my past life was going great. Right? I was I was excelling in the whole persecuting of the church. I was doing great. People of, of you know of my own age, of my own stature, right? I was putting them to shame because of the job that I was doing persecuting the church. Right? I was doing great. I didn't need this. Right? But one of the most famous sayings, one of my favorite sayings in scripture is, but God, right? But God showed up and changed my life. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, you see that? I love that. But he, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about something that we've talked about from time to time, right? And, and that is your passion, right? And what Paul is doing here in the second part of chapter 1 is he's sharing his passion with the church of Galatia. He's sharing his passion with the church of Galatia, and he's using it to do a few things, right? To correct, right? To correct the false gospel, but also to evangelize and to push people to Jesus, to draw people into Jesus, okay? By sharing his passion. And we've said this from time and time and time again from this pulpit, right? That, that, that the, the most powerful evangelism tool you have is your own story. We talked about it last week. Right? The most powerful evangelism tool Paul had was his own story. Right? How he was doing great, persecuting the church. I love how he sugarcoated it, talking about how he wanted to destroy the church. Right? Kind of dancing around it there. Right? He, but that was his goal. That's what he was living for. Right? 
But then God showed up, who, as Paul puts it, knew him before he was born, set him apart before he was born. If you're feeling defeated this morning, if you're limping up into church this morning, maybe you just needed to hear that right there, that God set you apart for whatever he's called you to right here, right now, before you were even born. He set you apart for it. He set you apart for it. And then he reveals his passion. At the, at, at the first part of verse 16, throw that up there, Ken. That I, excuse me, was, uh, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me, talking about God and being pleased to reveal Jesus to him, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's Paul's passion. That he may preach Jesus to those who need to hear the message of the gospel. That's his passion. That's what Paul lives for, right? To preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Now, each and every one of you in this room, no doubt, has a passion, right? Some of you have a passion for food. Some of you have a passion for exercise. Some of you have a passion for both, as confusing as that may be. Right? Some of you have a passion for music. Some of you have a passion for movies. Some of you have a passion for clothing or, or design or have a passion to serve or have a passion for this, have a passion for that. But each and every, some of us have a passion for cars, right? Um, each and every one of us in this room have a passion. But I want you to notice some things about passion. Okay? Because I believe that God designed us to live for passion. God designed us to live for passion. But how are we doing that? Right? How are we doing that? Are we, are, we, are we living out of the passion because we're so good and we're so passionate and look at what we've been able to do? Or do we see Christ in our passions? That's what I'm going to talk about today. And so the first thing I want you to notice is the recognition of the passion. Paul recognized his passion. He recognized where it came from. He recognized what it was. And it was very singular focused, right? To preach Christ among the Gentiles. That was his passion. However, he needed to do that. And we see Paul do that throughout Scripture. We have the benefit of having some other letters that Paul wrote, right? That, that, they, that he did that in prison, he did that in house arrest. He did that publicly, outside. He did that. He did that in many different ways. But the method didn't matter as long as his passion was being accomplished. As long as his passion was being accomplished. And so, again, well, let's keep going, right? Galatians is the letter that Paul wrote to a number of churches in Galatia, right? And it was intended as a sort of circular letter. One church would read it aloud in their public worship and then pass it around to the Christians in the next town and so on. But what we see, right, in verse 11, for I, wanted, uh, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I want you to notice, Paul is a man who has recognized his passion. He's recognized his passion. Three things about a passion. Number one is God-given. A passion is God-given, right? You can, you can do some things out of, out of a season for interest, right? I just got um, um, voted in. Uh, uh, um, I don't think I've shared this yet, but I just got voted in as the president 
of softball in the town of Gorm. I'm not sure why you're clapping for that. Okay? Now, I don't know when the inauguration is. I think it was last Sunday at my first game when we got beat 20 to 8. But that's okay. It's okay, right? It's okay. Right? Because I needed a couple more things to do. I was praying, right? So, so just, right? But, but can I tell you something, Micah? Close your ears for a second. Okay? Softball is not my Okay? It's not. I'm teaching kids how to dribble out there, how to bounce pads, shoot jump shots. Right? It's an ugly situation. Okay? At practice on Thursday night, I felt so out of place, I just went and took a knee on the third baseline. I let the assistant coaches take it for a minute because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Right? My passion's not softball. You know what my passion is on the softball field? The kids. Right? Being engaged in my, the, my kid, right? And my kid thinks it's great that I'm coaching softball, and she thinks I should coach the Olympic softball team next Olympics, right? Because she's doing so good, right? All, all these different things, right? And, 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 um, and, and that's just not going to happen, <laughs> right? A passion is God-given, right? And, and, and we can do things outside of our passion, and that's okay. Right? We can do things outside of our passion for a season and that be okay because this is indeed a season. I don't see myself here with softball till death do us part. Amen? Okay? Right? But a passion is God given. Well, and, and, so, and so there's interests that we can be in, that we can engage in, right? For a season, for reasons that aren't necessarily that interest. See what I'm saying? Picking up on my down. Okay, passion is the God-given desire that compels you to make a difference in a particular area, right? Passion is the God-given desire that compels you to make a difference in a particular area, right? The reason that they asked me to be the president of softball was not because I'm great at softball. The main reason they asked me to do this is because we hear that your job has a lot of conflict management. I'm not kidding. I can't make this up. And we need somebody that can manage conflict really well. And so we think you'd be great for this. Sign me up, baby. Right? I mean, like, really? Anyway, right? But and so, and so they want me to make a difference, right, in how parents and coaches get along, essentially. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. Right? On the softball field. Anybody ever dealt with that? Okay, you can help me after the service. I would love um, I mean, all the help I can get. Okay? <laughs> the umpire from last week's game friended me on Facebook and messaged me and said, I would like to help you coach softball. <laughs> because some of the things I saw today. Talk about encouragement, man. Like, whew, bless his heart. Anyway, when you're impassioned, or excited about where you're serving or who you're serving, whatever it is in the church, outside the church, you're more likely to have a strong motivation or sense of fulfillment in what you're doing. When there's passion behind it, right? If I'm just showing up for softball because it's softball, I'm not going to be too excited to get there, 
right? But I've got to remember the why as to why I'm doing softball. Make sense? At some point, we're going to stop talking about softball. But it's just a great example and an illustration for what we're talking about this morning. We might find it helpful to think of passion as an area, arena, or context, excuse me, for where you want to make a difference, right? For where you want to make a difference. I wouldn't do softball in Wyndham. But I want to build relationships in the town of Warren. Why? Don't tell the rest of the board. But for the sake of the gospel. If I can be a witness out there coaching to the people around me, then that's what I want to be. I almost ended our first softball meeting. It went longer than an elder meeting. Those are three hours. First softball meeting. And everybody was ready to end in prayer, and I mean, in the meeting. And I was like, I think we should pray, because that's how I'm used to ending all meetings. And they ran. Was, so I figured out how to end the meeting. These folks, right? But, uh, but, but, but to make a difference in that arena. So a passion is God-given. A passion is God-given. My question for you in this, right, is are you living in your God-given passions? Are you just doing what other people think you ought to do? Are you living in your God-given passions? Or are you doing what other, thing, what, what, what other people think you ought to do? Second thing this is important when it comes to passion. Paul knew his passion. There's no right or wrong passion. There's no right or wrong passion. In the past, you may have expressed your passion to someone who responded in a way that made you suppress it. Right? You ever done that? You ever shared your passion with somebody and said, said you know, that they, they suppressed it? Right? Um, when, when, when I was called to ministry, uh, I've shared this story before. When I was called to ministry, I went down and the guy said, what, 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 what do you think you're called to? And I said, I believe God's called me to change the world. He looked at me and said, oh, that's cute. Why is it cute? Why is it cute? Right? Um, you may have been made to feel that you couldn't pursue that passion for different reasons, right? You're too old, you're too young, you're a woman, you're a man, you don't have enough education, you have children, you don't have children. But hear me very clearly, at Summit Church, which is where you are in case you're confused, okay? At Summit Church, you have permission to simply recognize your passion. We want that for you. We want that for you, right? We simply want you to recognize your passion. Are there some places we're going to ask you to serve that may not be passionate? You know the hardest thing to set up here as we're at week two in Portable Church? This thing. Okay? Now, I recognize that no one in the room is passionate about getting it here at 7.15, 7.30 on a Sunday morning to set that thing up. Right? And so we're going to ask you to do some things outside of your passion. But people come to me all the time and say, Pastor, I'm in. I love Summit Church. Where do you want me to serve? Well, we really need some people to serve in the parking lot. I don't think that's okay. Well, we really need to serve some, we really need some people to serve in our children's ministry. You don't want me around kids. Well, let me ask you this Where are you passionate? Never hear from them again. Never hear from them again. What's your passion? Right? What are you passionate about? And we want to try to, as often as possible, and it's exhausting and it wears our leadership team out. They probably hate when I say this, right? But we want to platform you as much as we possibly can within your passion. 
If your passion is baking and you want to go buy a bus and start a ministry out of a bus by baking, we'll platform you as much as we possibly can to do that. Okay? Like if you're, if that, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Okay? And, and so this is a safe place. Everybody say this is a safe place. This is a safe place to recognize your passion. Name it, right? Because you may get silenced six and a half days out of the week with your passion. You may not be able to talk about your passion, live in your passion, walk in your passion for most of the week. But when you come into this place, this ought to be a place where you can celebrate your passion. Where you can get pumped about what God's doing in your life, through your life. This ought to be a place where you can say, man, I'm limping into my passion today because I've just been beat up this week. And have some people dust the, dust, dust the dirt off and say, hey, you're here walking your passion. Name the thing. Shout it out. Right? Shout it out. And my fear for us is that, is that things get kicked around so much that none of us even are even aware of the passion. We're not walking in our passion at all. We're, we're, we're not doing that. And we wonder why we're so tired and exhausted and unfulfilled and isolated because we're not doing anything that fills us. Preaching, in case you haven't noticed, is a passion for me. You take this away from me, right? And it's not even as much giving the message as much as it is preparing the message, preparing to bring a word from God. Is it exhausting? More than you'll ever know, right? But I love this, and I'm passionate about this, to bring the gospel to people. And every time I preach, my goal is to draw you, push you closer to Jesus, not that you would walk out and say, man, that guy, I almost said that kid, right? In some cases, okay? But that guy is a really clean, sharp, polished communicator. That's not my goal. That's not my goal. My goal is for you to be drawn into the affections of Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. If your faith confidence is in me or Ian or Dylan or our team or our leadership at all, then we are failing you. And you should run. And you should run. And you should run. We want to stir you in such a way that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, it's all about Jesus. That was terrible. Okay. There's no right or wrong passion, right? We're going to give you an opportunity, right? We want you to have an opportunity here to, 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 to step into your passion, whatever that may be. Number three, the third thing I want to talk about with your passion, right? Because we're still talking about the first point, the recognition of passion. Okay, we've got plenty of time. Number three, passion answers the where question. Passion answers the where question. Where am I going to have an opportunity to use my passion, right? To use my gifts, to, to do what God has called me to do. Passion helps us know where to serve. It helps us to know where to direct our gifts, where to focus our efforts. And look at verse 16 again, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I gave my life to Jesus because he gripped me. Here I was destroying the church. That was my goal. 
I wanted to persecute Christians. I wanted to give them the hardest time. They dreaded. They ran when they saw me coming. And then Jesus blinded me, gripped my heart, and everything changed. And so, and so Paul lived in such a way that everything he did was to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. And we, and we even sit back, I sit back and look at Paul and say, man, you could have eased up here, right? Like you could have eased up here. You could have, you could have avoided some things here. And he would say, it's all God's plan, right? It's all God's plan. It's all God's plan. We're, we're so shocked. We're so shocked. We're so shocked. And, and we're, we're so shocked when we suffer for the name of Christ. And yet, and yet, all throughout this book, we see victory after victory when people were suffering, struggling, hurting, isolated, didn't want to keep going, begging God to take the cup, all of these different things, and God continued to call them right where they are and was faithful to them in the midst of their suffering and brought victory. And brought victory. Passion dictates the where. Passion dictates the where. Where can I use my passion? Where can I use my gifts? D Dylan, Dylan and I celebrate this often. Okay, If you're on the worship team, hear this for what it is. Okay? There, there's a lot of churches... Don't we have a good worship team? Let's start with that. Like, let's encourage them first. Jeremy, it's great to hear you on acoustic drums again, right? There's a number of churches around and, and, and things, and I'm not being critical, I get it, but in the name of excellence, they pay musicians to be on stage, right? Because, you know, in the name of excellence and not having to practice so much, because if you ask our worship team, they give like two hours on Thursday night, and then they come in here like eight o'clock on Sunday morning, they wait for Jeff to get his stuff together, right? And then, and then they can finally run through, right? But Dylan and I talk about all the time how happy we are, how pumped we are that people have a place on our stage that they may not have a place other places, right? Like we celebrate that. We celebrate the fact. That, that, that this guy, who can't really carry a beat, can play drums from time to time, right? That's awesome. We celebrate the fact that, 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 that Jeff, who's a mediocre piano player, <laughs> at best, at best, right, has a place to show up and serve. And you know I'm using, using Jeff because we know he's far above a mediocre He's average, okay? <laughs> He's average, right? But passion dictates the where, right? Passion dictates the where. If you have a passion to preach, if you have a passion to preach and you're at a place where you don't have a voice, you're going to get stifled. You're going to get tired. And you're going to walk at some point, right? 
passion dictates the where. The second point about what Paul wrote here that I want to point out to you. Look at the second part of verse 16 there. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And when I'm writing to you before God, I did not lie. Then I went to, uh, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, right? What's Paul talking about here? The ripening of his passion, right? How his passion grew. Paul writes, when, when God set me apart, when he called me so that I might preach to, uh, so that I might preach Jesus among the Gentiles, Paul's referring to here a time of training and preparation for the pursuit of his passion. A, a period of training and preparation that for the pursuit of his passion, a period that took him at least three years we read. Similarly, when we begin to pursue our passions, there's often a time of ripening. There's a time of ripening. A period when our passion matures and we gain growing clarity. There's a period of ripening. Listen to me. If, 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 if God, um, if, if Kristen and I would have said God's called us to Maine and we would have left um, graduation at Liberty and come right up here, we would not have been ready for what God was going to do here. And we probably still wouldn't be here today. But we went down to North Carolina. We served faithfully for four years. And, and God did some things in that four years where we grew, where we learned, where we, one of those things was portable church that we promised ourselves we would never, ever, ever do again. And here we are. I got to stop telling God the things that I'll never do. And never go to Maine. And, okay, right, right. But there's a period of ripening. Right? There's a period of ripening. God never wastes an experience. He never wastes an experience. God never wastes an experience. I was sitting uh, with someone the other day, and, 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 and they were just talking, and they were like, man, really sorry, really sorry that I've got to dump this on you. I'm really sorry that, that you've got to carry this thing from here. I'm really sorry. And I'm like, it's part of it. That's why I'm here. Because God's going to do something in this that he's going to get glory out of at some point. And even though I might not be able to see it right now, he's got this. He's got this. He's got this. And so there's a ripening process of applying our passions and refining our area of service until we're having fun. And finding fulfillment and glorifying God and serving others. One of the things I do on a Sunday morning is I just, I just listen to worship music. And this morning I just felt the need for more. And so I was walking around with cool little AirPods that were a gift because I'm not cool enough to buy those things for myself. And um, I was reminded of that this morning as well. Um, but, uh, but I was walking around and I was listening to a worship song where one of the lines is uh, quoting scripture, your joy is mine. It's talking about the joy of the Lord is ours and the joy of the Lord will be our strength and, 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 and the writer uh, of the song said your joy is mine yet why am I fine if I'm walking in the joy of the Lord why am I just fine right if, I'm, if, the, if the joy of the Lord is my strength then why, then why so negative right why just fine right 
the ripening process of applying our passion until we're having fun and finding fulfillment. Until we're having fun and finding fulfillment. Now, sometimes you've got to do what we do on road trips. Right? When everybody's crying and everybody's ready to get there, and that's not even to mention the kids. <laughs> right? And we're out as a family, all six of us, right? And, 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 and you know, when, how much further, how much longer, how much? We're having fun, right? This is fun, right? We're having fun, we're all having fun, right? Aren't we all having fun? Yes, and until everybody is nodding in agreement that we're having fun. And sometimes, sometimes, right, walking in your passion is doing that. Right? This is fun. Right? This is fun. Writer's block. It's fun. Right? All of these different things as we walk in our passions. Working on this car, restoring this car. This is fun. Right? Tim and Bruce, this is fun. And we're reminding ourselves that it's fun until it gets fun again. Let me point out one more thing about this before we go on. I, I love this because, because I saw this this morning. The second part of verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's when Paul recognized his passion, second part of verse 16. I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Right? Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. I love that Paul, right, undoubtedly in this process, I wish he would have even gone further with this, talking about what he did in those three years and what he did when he didn't consult with anyone, right? He had received a God-given passion, and he didn't want anybody to talk him out of it. He didn't want anybody to say, well, maybe it was this. Maybe you heard God in this, right? But he wanted to. Now, certainly, there are places where people affirm your passion, where people affirm your calling, where people give a stamp of approval. That's what we do in ordination as a church and licensing, when we place our stamp of approval on a minister of the gospel, right? But we don't have impact or dictate their calling. That can only come from God. It can only come from God. And so Paul's like, Paul's like, I didn't go to anyone. I didn't consult with the people, right? I got alone. I did the training that was necessary, the preparation that was necessary. We see Jesus do the same thing, right? Jesus was baptized. What did he do? Bounced for 40 days, right? He got alone with his father for 40 days. Then after that 40 days was tempted by the devil and then began his ministry, right? But Jesus isolated. If Jesus did that, after, after beginning his ministry and being baptized, how much more do we need our passions to be dictated by God above and not the people around us? And then the result of passion. Look at verses 22 through 24. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. And so, and so people are starting to catch wind, right? He was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. That's what happens when we begin to serve God cheerfully with our whole heart according to our passion. 
people will praise God because of you. When it's done right, let me make that very clear, people don't praise you, okay? That's not the point. People praise God because of you. People praise God because of you. They will give glory to God because of your effective and faithful service. That's the result of finding God-given passion, pursuing it in God's service. Now, I was on the phone with somebody the other day, and they said something that floored me. And at first, I just thought it was like something out there and that it wouldn't have apply to the church as a whole. But then I started thinking, man, this is for everybody. The thing that was said to me was, I'm afraid my charisma is outpacing my character. I'm afraid my charisma is outpacing my character. Now, I want to talk about that for just a minute, because what do, we, what do we mean when we say charisma, right? Well, what we mean is this. Charisma is a compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others, right? It's a, it's a compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others. Charisma, right? And so, and so a pastor, a pastor ought to have charisma. Right? Because a, a, a speaker has charisma, right? A keynote speaker on a Monday night going for a $100,000 ask, he better be carrying some charisma, right? Which, it was too late. Anyway, right? A second definition for charisma is one we use often in base camp, right? Or when we're talking about spiritual gifts or passions like this, a divinely conferred power or talent. Okay? And so what we use is, is, is the Greek word charis is gift, ma is plus. And so your charisma is your gift plus. Everybody has one, right? Your gift plus, right? And in that, there's a compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in others as you walk in your charisma. The problem comes, and my fear for us here in reading Paul's letter to the church of Galatians, the second part of chapter one, is, is our charisma outpacing our character? What's the driving force? Paul talked about last week, am I doing this for God or am I doing this for you? Right? Because if I'm doing it for you, it's done in vain, and all I'm doing is preaching the false gospel to you that these others are preaching, and it's going to fall on deaf ears, it's going to be distracting, and none of us, let's be honest, are going to end up in the kingdom of heaven because we're doing it wrong. And so he, he says, am I doing this for you, or am I doing this for God? And asking the question, is our charisma outpacing our Character is asking the same thing. Are we, are we pursuing our passions out of the overflow of what God's doing in our life? Or are we trying to manufacture this passion on an empty tank? Are we trying to manufacture charisma on an empty tank? And that's a question only you can answer. That's a question only I can answer. 
Because I can tell you what the temptation is. If you're anything like me, the temptation is to say, oh, I know somebody that's doing that. Let me tell you about them. Right? I know somebody. I know somebody that needs more Jesus in their charisma. I know somebody. I know. Man, I was just talking to them the other day at coffee and was thinking, whew, they're performing hard. Right? Instead of going inward and saying, is my passion outpacing my character? Coming from someone who's done that, you can only do it for so long before it catches up with you and floors you harder than it would have been if you'd floored yourself and said, hey, I need a minute. I gotta get some things right here. I've gotta check some things. I've gotta deal with some things. I've gotta make sure that I'm filling the tank before I can operate out of passion. Is your charisma outpacing your character? Paul's drive was that the gospel would go forth to all people. People, people who, who in, 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 in the church's eyes at that time didn't deserve it, right? But where was Paul coming from, right? Talk about fuel for passion. Where was Paul coming from? Nobody was going around preaching the gospel to him. Why? Because they were scared to death of him, right? That he was going to destroy him, right? And so now Paul has received the, a call to the people that he once was. Right? And so, and so he can come from that. Right? He can stir that. Talk about fuel for passion. Each one of us, each one of us has been in a dark place of sin, outside of the grace of God, in need of Jesus. And then Ripped our heart, 10 years old, 20 years old, 4 years old, whatever happened for you, gripped your heart, you recognized your need for him, you got a passion for him, and then something stifled it, and you've lost that love and feeling. But God never wastes an experience. He's right there. He's right there. Can I tell you about the Father heart of God as I close this down for just a moment? My kids were leaving youth group because now I'm that dad that's got two kids in youth group. That'll humble you. If I sit down on the stage, Don, am I going to go out of the picture of the camera? Hmm. I'm like, okay, so I want to sit down. I just want to sit down. I'll just sit down. So we were leaving the youth group a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was talking to the kids about what they learned. Because that's one of the things we like to do is have a conversation. Make sure that Ian and Bree and Kara are doing their job. And not just sugaring them up for no reason, but maybe giving them a little Jesus. Right? And it was the night y'all talked about the prodigal son. And, uh, and, and my kids were like, yeah, we talked about the guy that 
was living and eating with the pigs, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, real quickly, this son, the younger son, there's two sons that we see in the story, an older son, the younger son, the younger son goes to dad and says, I want my inheritance, I'm ready to fly, right? I'm ready to fly, I just got my license, I know everything, just ask me, I'll tell you, right? Give me my inheritance, I'm ready to go. It's not how it works, Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth just got her license on Thursday. Okay, so everybody look out. Um, right, and uh, and 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 he he blows it off, and uh, ends up ends up in a pig pen, living with the pigs, eating what the pigs eat, and he has a revelation. The revelation was that. Uh, his dad's servants live and eat better than he's living and eating right now. And so he, he gets up and decides to himself, you know what, I'm going to go home. Maybe, just maybe, dad will let me be a servant. Maybe he'll let me live in, in the servant's quarter. Maybe, maybe I can just eat what the servants eat, right? Maybe I can be considered that level if I just go home. And so he goes home. And then the father heart of God. Right, and so as the, as the girls were recounting the story, just what I just told you, I kind of stopped them and said, "You're my favorite part of the story." And they said, "What, Dad?" <laughs> of course, Pastor Dad. Right, <laughs> right. My favorite part of the story is when the dad gets off the porch and runs to the side. Yeah. Runs to him. Right, because if you study the culture of that time, dads didn't do that. Everybody brought them things, right? Everybody, you know, he's sitting on the front porch and, and everybody, ser he had servants, right? Everybody came to him. He didn't go to anybody, right? He would summon people to come to him, but yet he sees his son far off in a distance and he gets up on the front porch and he runs to his son and embraces him and restores him and, 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 and tells the servants to kill the fat calf. We're going to have a party. Right? And, 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 and we're going to have a celebration for my son who was lost is home. Let me tell you something. When I think about a father like that, that fuels me with passion. I've got a father in heaven that loves me so much he sent his son to die for me. And when I mess up, he's not distant. I don't have to do a bunch of work so that he's okay with me and regraces me and all those, all those different things, right? All I have to do is turn to him and in an instant, he embraces me. He embraces me. And so much of our Christian faith today, so much of what we do in the church is based on works and not the heart of God. And we're running around and we're trying to charisma the thing and we're trying to manufacture the energy. We're pulling in the parking lot at 715 saying, okay, I've got to walk in there and be the life, right? I've got to manufacture this passion. I've got to manufacture all of this stuff so that people will think I'm okay. I've got to hide all the stuff from the week. I've got to hide where I'm just not operating in grace and operating in charisma in character, right? I've got to hide all of that with charisma because charisma can hide character for a season, right? Because we're talking ourselves up. And then, and then in extreme cases, right, people start to see our character or lack thereof. Oh, that's my time at that church. God has called me to another place where I can go charisma them 
over my character. Let me ask you something. Why don't you just turn to Jesus? Why don't you just turn to Jesus? We've got to move past this works faith and get to the character of the thing because your passion will never be anything without character. It just won't be. I'm sorry to share the bad news. But we see right through it anyway. Don't you? So my question for you this morning is your charisma outpacing your character? Do you know your passion? Do you know your passion? Some of you have a three-page thesis of your passion, and you're like, yep, this is it. This is how I do this, and this is how I accomplish this, and all, all those different things. And some of you are just, you're throwing darts, and you're hoping something will stick. God sent his son. That's who, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And my presence will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a God that gets off the porch to come and meet us where we are. To wrap his arms around us. And say, I don't care where you've been. I don't care how you smell. You're home. And that's all that matters. So my prayer for you today is that God would rightly restore his passion for your life. And that if you've never seen it before, that it would be revealed to you. Because the reason Paul can write this letter to the church at Galatia is because he had one goal. One goal. One goal, that they would hear the gospel, the true gospel. They would receive it, and they would walk in it. And no one could talk about it. Let's pray. God, I thank you. That God, you care enough about us not leave us or forsake us. God, you care enough about us that you want to use us. And that you've got a plan for us. As Paul said, the one who set me apart before I was even born has called me to preach. And God, you have set each and every one of us apart before we were even born so that you could call us for such a time as this for your glory and for your name's sake. And so God, today, I, I pray that it's less about us and more about you. I pray that it's less about Summit and more about you. 
I pray that it's less about church on Sunday morning and more about you every day of our lives. I pray that it's less about uh, less about prayer meeting and more about communion with you every day, even while we're in the grocery store. I pray it's less about blank and more about you. God, that in our marriages, it's all about you. In our relationships with our children, it's all about you. God, that we would live in such a way that everything we do is for your glory. And for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.